you're just alone on the trail in the snow. I definitely had some scary moments of losing my dog team over a hill, then pulling it out of my arms and <laughs> trying to chase them down. And it was pretty wild to think that I was doing that in middle school. Coming up on Travel Itch, photographer and outdoor adventurer Melissa Miller talks about her childhood passion for dog sled racing. How a solo trip through Alaska taught her so much more than bear safety and how to change a tire. Plus, why she finally left her healthcare job to become a full-time travel blogger. I'm Jennifer John, the founder of eco-friendly travel wear brand Pangwangle. Our clothes repel insects so you can have more fun outside, bite-free. Welcome to our Pangwangle podcast, Travel Itch. Are you looking for adventure? Right this way. Today we're talking with Melissa Miller, also known on Instagram as Miss Rover. Melissa grew up competing in dog sled races in Michigan and now shares her travel and outdoor adventures for her growing following. Melissa, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for that intro. Sure. Well, it's funny. The first time I spoke to you briefly, I thought we're definitely going to talk about Alaska. That sounds so exciting. But it was the dog sled racing that I kept thinking about after we spoke. So I really want to start there and tell me about that. Yeah, that's always my like fun fact when people are like, tell us something fun about you. <laughs> I grew up fun. dog sledding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, growing up in northern Michigan, we have snow. So we had a bunch of dogs that needed to get energy out. And that's kind of how my mom started that hobby. And one thing led to another and I was going with her pretty much every weekend in the winter, sleeping in a small camper with four to five dogs. <laughs> it was frigid, but yeah, what a sport to kind of get introduced to the outdoors with. Yeah, so where in Michigan did you grow up and was this sport something that was not, like just pretty normal where you grew up? It definitely wasn't normal, uh, <laughs> but uh, I grew up like three hours north of Detroit on Lake Huron. It's a small town of like seven or 800 people called Augre, Michigan. No one's heard of it. <laughs> Augre, Michigan is closer to Canada than it is Detroit. It's a former logging town that's now focused on tourism because of the great fishing in the Augre River, Lake Huron and Saginaw Bay to the south. Dog sledding is also a draw for tourists in northern Michigan, with several dog sled races throughout the winter and companies offering paid dog sledding excursions to the general public. For Melissa, though, being a middle school musher didn't feel like a mainstream choice. Yeah, definitely not a normal thing there. It was kind of, yeah, I wasn't very popular in school and that kind of probably added to my weirdness factor, but... <laughs> So how did your mom get into it? She must have had a friend. I'm just so curious about this sport. We had a dog that we rescued and he was kind of like a German shepherd, mutt mix, whatever. And we tried biking with him. We tried running. He was just so fast. We couldn't burn enough energy. So she started, you know, going down YouTube rabbit holes and like finding these rigs that dogs could pull and tire them out faster. And that kind of led her to the dog sledding community there. I, all I remember, I mean, I remember a lot, but the most that I remember is just being so cold, <laughs> just so cold. Um, but I mean, it was, you wake up to the dogs just like barking, everyone's so excited, you know, the dogs know and they just can't wait to, to hit the trail with you. And it's, it's pretty magical, but a lot of chaos also, <laughs> there's hundreds of dogs. 
in one spot. Definitely fair. Because you're out on this trail, you know, it's usually pretty remote and there's checkpoints that you go by, but until you get to that, you're just alone on the trail in the snow. Um, so there's been moments where, you know, you have like a, a metal hook that you can throw and hope for the best to try to stop the dogs. Like there's all this that goes into the training. And I definitely had some scary moments of losing my dog team over a hill, then pulling it out of my arms and <laughs> trying to chase them down. And um, so it was, pretty wild to think that I was doing that in middle school. I don't know if I would have the guts to do that now. Yeah, that's when you have the guts, middle school. <laughs> I guess so. So. So, how did, so what happened? Your dog, you lost your dog? I was coming dog? up over a like small hill and they were on the other side of it. And I was walking to kind of give them you know, a break to get up over this hill. And as soon as they got over and got traction, they just ripped it right out of my hands and took off, you know. Yeah. Oh, they didn't have the weight of a person on, so they were just flying. <laughs> but uh, luckily, yeah, I hitched a ride with another sledder that came up behind me, and they were just kind of stuck in a tree down the, like, maybe a mile or so down the road, <laughs> just kind of waiting for me, like, what took you so long? Melissa continued dog sledding throughout high school, went to college, and got a degree in occupational therapy, which focuses on helping people who've been sick or injured to perform everyday activities so they can maintain independence and improve their quality of life. I, you know, I kind of always wanted to try out travel therapy, which is like travel nursing. More, more people are familiar with travel nursing, um, but I stuck around for relationship that I was in. And um, when that ended and I was in my nine to five every day, I just, I don't know, it just hit me of like, this is what I'm going to be doing every day for the rest of my life. And it kind of just scared me. And I started thinking about other things I could do and where I could go. And being in Michigan my whole life, you know, I just, I knew there was a lot of other things out there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just, I kind of circled a date in my calendar and felt a little bit crazy doing so, but and I stuck to it and that's when I left. Anywhere on the West Coast is what I told the, the agent that was getting me set up with a travel occupational therapy gig. And that landed me in Seattle. So what was the date and why that date? I don't remember. Actually, I feel like it was pretty random. I remember just kind of like thinking, you know, okay, I'd be at my job at least for like X amount of years at this point. So it wouldn't look bad on a resume. Like there are a lot of, you know, actual responsible things that I was thinking about going into that. But I think just the like spontaneity of being able to circle a date and not really think about it too much outside of that was so enticing and I think I romanticized that a little bit. So looking back would you say you know would you say that you'd probably do that again? I, I have done it again. <laughs> My trip to Alaska was pretty much exactly that too. It's like well I did this once why not do it again? At what point did you start taking photographs? Because I know you're a photographer and you're really into photographs. How did that come into being? It kind of started on the trip out to Seattle. Um, I had been, you know, I was waiting on the job to line up. It wasn't actually set in stone when I left. Um, so I was just kind of bopping around to national parks, living out of my small Nissan Juke. And I think, you know, just trying to capture some of the beauty to share with my friends and family that were like, why are you doing this? <laughs> to try to just explain myself and show like, look what's out here. 
that's kind of what started it and it was just on my iPhone and that led to you know as travel blogging became more of an interest to me and sharing my experiences the photography component of that you know kind of came with it you're listening to travel itch feed your restless soul with stories from around the globe brought to you by Pangwangle, travel wear that is bug repellent and eco-friendly so you can go far bite free So it looks like from reading your bio on your on your website, MissRover.com, you got into travel blogging because you relied so much on travel blogs to find places to go and see. Absolutely, yeah. I I definitely have anxiety, and I like to do my research before. You know, I like to leave room for adventure and spontaneity and all that in there too. But like, I like to know where I'm going. I like to have an idea of what to expect unexpected things can happen. So travel blogs are great. And that definitely inspired me seeing other people doing that. Um, and also just documenting it so I didn't have to tell the same relatives over and over. <laughs> you know, this is what I did, read my blog. <laughs> what do you think is the anatomy of a good travel blog? Ooh, I think a visual element, either a photo or a video really draws people in now. They wanna see like, picture themselves in that place. And I think people can accomplish that with writing as well. Um, but I think ultimately inspiring someone to want to do that same experience and, and then laying it out in a way that makes sense where that person can recreate that experience. I like to be honest about my experiences and what went wrong, because I think that is valuable. I think a lot of blogs that I've read at least and a lot of social media, you know, they like to paint it in a a pretty picture of like, oh, this was perfect trip. Nothing went wrong. Like, this is excellent. Like, and I'll have great photos too, but like, doesn't show the thunderstorm or, you know, all the other things that went wrong. And I like to kind of talk about that in the blog more so, so that people get the reality. <laughs> I mean, triple, thank goodness for AAA and, you know, things like that. But, you know, normal car mishaps, flat tires, getting stuck, you know, especially when you're out on those back roads. There's a lot of sand and a lot of things that you're not expecting. Going the wrong way on a trail, <laughs> running out of water on the trail. Travel blogs are more popular than ever. About a third of travelers in the U.S. rely on blogs to plan their trips. It's a very crowded and competitive field. Melissa's blog offers road trip itineraries with great hikes and treehouse cabins and lots more. She also collaborates in paid partnership with brands like Toyota, Booking.com, and Budweiser. This puts her in the top tier of travel bloggers, but that wasn't the original goal. So what did you think you were looking for when, when you went West? What do you think you were searching for? That's such a good question. And I don't know if I've ever actually, you know, questioned myself with that. I kind of just gave into the feeling, um, but thinking about it now, I think I was searching for my own idea of happiness. I think the Midwest culture didn't agree with me. The the ideas being shoved down my throat of you have to get married and buy a house and have kids to find success. I just, it just didn't resonate. So I think that's what I was searching for, like my own adventure, my own journey. And I definitely found that. <laughs> so let's talk about Alaska then. Yeah, and you had mentioned before that when you decided one of the factors that came into play when you decided to move west 
was the end of a relationship. And then, and then in my right, you started a new relationship there. And then when that relationship ended, you made another circle on the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a pattern, huh? <laughs> but, uh, so actually it's a little bit different. There was a series of, you know, dating is in general, just taxing. <laughs> so, um, it was after a series of, you know, bad dates that I did circle that date, but then I did end up in a relationship and immediately told them, Hey, in six months, I'm planning to go to Alaska. And turns out they also like to go to Alaska. And that was kind of a theme for them every year. So we were planning to go together. So, but two weeks before we were going to go, they ended the relationship with me. <laughs> so I was put in this position of like, do I have the guts to do this alone? And it kind of felt like a challenge, like, the universe set me up to like do this thing of like can you do it can you prove to yourself that you know you can do whatever you want whether or not someone comes with you i left without a job lined up i was hoping to get another you know travel job up there and that's kind of what i was banking on um but it wasn't lining up, so I was. I just decided to go anyway. And worst case scenario, I'd go, live out of my car for a little bit and come back. But um, yeah, preparing for a trip to Alaska, you know, <laughs> I had to learn a lot of car related things that were very scary to me. Like I always relied on services like AAA and, you know, your car insurance to fix a flat. And so I had to learn those skills, which was a lot of YouTube and a lot of, you know, asking some friends, hey, can you come over and show me how to do this? I definitely felt so empowered after learning how to, you know, simple things like changing a tire. I did do a lot of deep dives into like animal safety, like what do you do? black bear versus grizzly bear versus mountain lion versus you know all of those scenarios i mean it was important but it also gave me a lot of anxiety leading up to the trip because there was just you know a lot of horror stories that you come across in your research but yeah actually i remember that from when i lived in montana and i used to be a news reporter and i would do every spring i would do a story about um, bear safety and the way that you react to a bear is very different than the way that you react when you see a mountain lion. And I used to always uh -huh. worry that I would get it when I was spazzing out in the moment, I would get it confused. Can you, do you remember, can you talk a little bit about how to react when you see these different creatures? Oh my gosh. Let's see if I can remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, there's that one phrase for bears where if it's black, fight back. If it's brown, lie down. And if it's white, good night, they say. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> Luckily, where I was at in Alaska, which was Juneau, it was mostly black bear population. So I was familiar with black bears already living in Washington and encountering a lot of bears on my backpacking trips there. So I wasn't very freaked out by that. But mountain lions, I know you're not supposed to run. <laughs> you're supposed to just try to be as big as you can and wave your arms and throw stuff. On my way to Alaska, whew, I saw about a bear every hour on the road. It was like clockwork. It was just ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but um, an absurd amount of bears. I did have to slam on my brakes once because a lynx, I think either a lynx or a mountain lion of some variation ran out in front of my car and just stared at me. And that was very eerie. There's lots of like ravens, lots of bald eagles. <laughs> 
Wow. So, so you get there and how are you feeling? How long, how long did it take you to drive to Alaska and how were you feeling when you got there? I did a lot of, I didn't do a very direct route. <laughs> I wanted to go to Banff National Park and experience that and um, kind of made my way up. But it took me about a month, I think, to get up there. Um, it felt great. I cried when I saw the sign welcoming to me, <laughs> welcoming me to Alaska. It just was this overwhelming feeling like I made it, I did it, I'm safe. Even though I still had so many miles to go in Alaska to get to my you know, end point, but it just felt like I had really accomplished what I set out to do, which I did. And is that kind of the goal is like to do something that seems too scary or a little bit too big, a little bit too much, and just to go ahead and prove to yourself that you can do it? That's what I'm trying to do at least once a year. <laughs> it's been a little less um, big of an event. Like last year, I went rappelling down a mountain into like a on one of those portal ledge things and had a picnic. It was the most stressful picnic of my life. <laughs> <laughs> because you were like, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, I, I think I yeah. know what you're talking about. But yeah, everyone looks so relaxed in the pictures though, not you. <laughs> <laughs> I did not look relaxed. I have the most hilarious photos from that. <laughs> on the way there, I did mostly camping in my car. Like I would sleep in my car with all of my belongings, which was not comfortable, but uh, when I did, I did some backpacking along the way as well, which was my first time solo backpacking. And that I did stay in my tent. Um, but then once I got to Alaska, I had an apartment set up and all that to, because a job did line up. So I had work. <laughs> oh, cool. As an occupational yeah. therapist. Yeah. So that's why I ended up there for three months was my contract. And then they extended me twice. So I'm so I'm picturing you every hour you're seeing a bear along the road <laughs> and then you stop and you're like now I'm going to go for a hike by myself overnight. Yeah. And then were you? Oh, it did. I did not sleep that first night, especially that first solo night. I just every noise and I don't even know if they were actual noises or if my brain was just creating it, but it everything sounded like a mountain lion or a bear. Everything. <laughs> The Alaska Canadian Highway runs 1,500 miles through the wild and mountainous Yukon Territory. It does have the occasional gas station, of course, but not much cell phone service. Winter temperatures get down to 40 below, so summer's the time to go. You can find natural hot springs, breathtaking views, beautiful hikes, and also large and aggressive mosquitoes, plus RV caravans taking their sweet time. Melissa finally settled into Juneau, Alaska's capital city of about 30,000 people on the Pacific Ocean. In the summer, the town is teeming with cruise ship passengers, commercial fishing crews, and travelers. When I first got into Alaska, I stopped at a local bar and I ran into these two older gentlemen that were motorcycling the entire U.S. and they were in Alaska currently. So they were telling me about their wild stories. I was exchanging mine and it was just such a good time and they ended up buying me a drink and it was just it was just fun to like be in a place where everyone has is coming from their own journey and adventures. I felt so at home right away. I met I think I just met the right people or maybe that's just the way it is there. People, you know, it's a small community and you're locked in there. You're you can only get there by boat or plane. There's only 40 miles of road. Um, so I think because of that, the sense of community is just so strong. But I just, I met such good people. They just brought me in, they showed me the ropes, they took me hiking, they took me fishing. It was just 
all sorts of adventures and it's just the most beautiful place. I mean, the highway goes along these just towering mountains and the town kind of just sits nestled in right at the base of those mountains. My biggest takeaway was, you know, that feeling of accomplishment and empowerment and overcoming, you know, whatever comes my way and getting after my goals. Melissa left Juno in December and headed to California looking for another gig as a traveling occupational therapist, which basically means she's hired through an outside firm to fill in for a short period of time. It's here where she turned her travel blogging and photography habit into a full-time career. I was kind of forced into it, actually. I was on a contract here and then the pandemic hit and they extended my contract multiple times, but then it got to a point where I either accepted a full-time position with them which was about a quarter of the pay, um, or I moved during a pandemic and tried to start over again. Um, but I was in a great position to just jump in and try travel blogging full time. And um, it, it's working out. It's such a weird time to go into travel blogging during a pandemic when no one's traveling. But I think that kind of gave me the time I needed to, to do what I needed to do to get my business together and I got a very small compact. Um, it was a little Canon G7X and it's just a very cute little point and shoot camera. And that kind of started my, my journey of photography really like, cause I could edit those photos on Lightroom and you know, really get into the, the meat of, of actual photography and learning about the, the logistics of it. Taking pictures by myself is such a struggle. Um, tripods are great. And I used to use a remote, but often the, the distance with when the remote would work is only like, I don't know, X amount of feet. So I'd be <laughs> hitting the shutter and then running to position and it just would never quite work out. But there's, um, I have found interval mode, which I am a huge fan of where it'll take a shot every like three seconds so I can change my pose. Um, but that's been how I take photos alone but it's so much easier to just have someone else do it if, if you have that. <laughs> so what about the, uh, the van situation? How did you hop on that train? <laughs> <laughs> I bought it right before I turned 30 last May. Um, and I start, you know, I was very excited about it initially. So immediately started renovating it, ripping out the seats, the carpet, the ceiling, um, got it built out just enough to put a bed in there and everything was still like, insulation hanging from the ceiling, plywood. And that's how I've been using it for the last year. <laughs> time, money, energy, YouTube videos of how to cut a hole in the van to put a fan in, you know, little things like that. Just I'm procrastinating. But actually today is a big day because now a year later, I am cutting a hole in the top to put the fan in and that's going to be the start of finishing off my renovations. It was always something I romanticized and having spent time living out of a very small vehicle, um, it just kind of made sense as I'm getting older. So yeah, the van, I didn't want like a new van nor did I, you know, I couldn't afford a new van. So I have a blue 1999 Chevy Express. It's a big, like, think youth group van, like passenger van. It was the um, California Chico State Ecology Vehicle, so they would take people out on ecology tours. And can you change the tires on it? 
you know, I haven't tried with this one yet. They are massive. <laughs> you could <laughs> just call the, AAA now. Yeah, I know. It'd be the, quite an undertaking. So I think I what could have do you? It. I bet you could. I'm sure you could, especially yeah. in a pinch. If you had to do it, you could do it. Sure. So this made sense for me, and my partner also likes to travel now too, and we'll go together. And two people in a Subaru definitely not okay. So the van, the van was a much needed move. Are you like a gear person who, if you're going to daydream, would you daydream about where you're going to go in the van or would you daydream about the cute pull down shelf that's going to be hidden behind the bed, <laughs> whatever, whatever? Yeah. I, I, a little bit of both. Um, it's more so about where I'm going to go because I read something the other day that I really enjoyed about van life and it was, we're building the van to live out of, not to live in. And I just really like that interpretation of it. Like, yeah, I want it to look cute, of course, but like the main goal is to be outside and to have, you know, a comfortable place to sleep, but some beautiful places to go and enjoy. So one of the things you said earlier that I thought was interesting is that you said you're kind of an anxious person, person, but then at the same time, I just, one of your recent blog, uh, Instagram posts I really liked, and it was about and apparently everyone else does too, because you got a tons of likes on it. It's about how to um, find your adventure buddy or how to find someone to go with. So solo is good, but sometimes you want to have somebody there with you. But talk to me a little bit about, about that post and why do you think it was so well received? Gosh, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people struggle with getting out on adventures alone. You know, it's intimidating, especially if you're not super familiar with the activity you know you want to you think you would like hiking but you've never really done it and you don't have people to go with um, so I think especially for women like having a community of people that one you can be inspired by and learn from is just so important I think a lot of people are seeking that so it's it's it can be hard to find people though that you know are down to go sleep in the dirt for a weekend <laughs> but uh yeah I, I myself was very lucky using Bumble BFF, you know, it's the dating app Bumble, but they have the feature of finding friends too. That's how I've met my best friends that still live in Seattle. We still go on trips every year. Oh, that's great. And what are the other tips in your post or just that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, social media is a, is a big one. You can reach out to people, um, find people. I mean, I, there's even people in the comments of some of those um, posts, you know, oh, you're in that area too? Like, let's link up. And you know, people connecting that way. Facebook groups are huge. I definitely used those when I first moved to Seattle um, to find out what hikes were good and also, you know, group hiking events. And when you're out, so say you take the van and you go somewhere for, I don't know, a week or something, how much of the day do you spend, you know, like taking pictures or thinking about pictures? Or are you, are you one of those photographers who's just always kind of everything is a potential photograph? It depends. And I have to set myself up for that. Like if it's a work trip and I have different products or different places that I'm shooting, um, I try to make a shot list so that I don't get into the mindset of everything is a photo. Because if I do that, then it kind of drains my creativity and the joy from the experience. Um, so oftentimes I'll turn to film photography in that situation where it's a little more intentional and it's there's no screens right so it's it feels less like work and more of like a creative passion mm -hmm. yeah that's one thing I was going to ask you about it's like burnout I just hear a lot about you know people in creative professions it's you know you're, you're constantly having to churn out content 
how do you do that when there's days when you just don't feel like doing that? It's, <laughs> it has been a struggle. Um, I try my best to batch content where I have, you know, kind of a library of things I can choose from. Um, but sometimes I just don't want to, and that's fine. And I think learning to be okay with not posting, you know, every day or every other day or whatever I'm feeling at the time is just, you know, learning to take breaks. And I, I try to regain some creative energy by doing other creative things that don't involve screens, <laughs> like playing guitar, watercolor painting, um, journaling, and film photography. Yeah, I did read on your website, that's one of the things you never go into nature without is your watercolors. Yeah. Are you a watercolor painter or is that just like... Oh, I am not good. I am not good at all, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. It's hard. Watercolor can be tricky, but I guess you don't yeah. have to be perfect. Exactly. And I don't want to put pressure on it. I think that would just totally take the fun out of it for me. So it's great being bad at it. I love it. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> what, do you, what does your family think? They're excited for me. They... They're both artists, so I mean, I think they probably knew I would end up here doing something different than what they wanted me to do. Because <laughs> I mean, I fought them on that, but um, and that's why you know the journey was long and going into healthcare first because that's what I was told I should do, and then you know ending up here is is fascinating to me. But I felt like I knew I would end up here all along. Uh, there's been lots of comments and DMs over the years that um, people have expressed that they've, you know, taken the leap themselves and moved across the country or, you know, were inspired by my backpacking solo trip. And those DMs are what keep me going for sure. Any message like that. No, I just can't wait to get the van on the road and, and start, you know, showing people the renovation. Does the van have a name? We, oh gosh. <laughs> it is currently boxy, which I'm not in love with, but that's where we're at right now. It's not very flattering. No, I guess if you're a yeah, van, it is. <laughs> it was like Babe the Blue Ox, but then she's a box and she's blue. I don't know. I'm not in love with it. All right. If we'll you have any suggestions, posted. let me know. Yeah, I'll think about it. I need to, I need okay. to go look at pictures on, your, on totally. your site. But yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you being with us and have a great one. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Travel Itch, brought to you by Pangwangle, bug repellent travel wear for the modern adventurer. If you enjoyed it, please like and subscribe. Visit pangwangle.com to see pictures from Melissa's adventures and links to her inspiring travel itineraries. Special thanks to sound design engineer George Ingmeyer and producer Mary Negrotto. I'm Jennifer John, and remember, the more you explore, the more you find.